0: This paid podcast is a partnership between Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. All uses of trademarks or brands are not meant to convey sponsorship or affiliation of this podcast. From Century 21 Real Estate, this is The Relentless, the podcast that looks at sales differently. As entrepreneurs, we write our own playbooks. When we're thrown off course, when assumptions hold us back, we find a way to move fearlessly, in a different direction. I'm Kristen Meinzer. I'm an author, entrepreneur, and podcast host. And in a world filled with noise, there's a superpower I've developed that's helped me more than anything else. Never letting fear get in the way. That means building up confidence, taking risks, and tackling the really hard problems. And that's what we're exploring this season. How can we move fearlessly in a world filled with potential obstacles? Get ready to meet the people who transform what scares them into something that inspires them. It's time to move fearlessly and stay relentless.
1: When I was a little kid, I really believed in magic. I really believed that if I saw it in my mind, I could see it in real life. That's Ida Rodriguez. I am a writer, I'm a stand up comedian, I'm an actor. And I am, above all things, an artist.
0: As a stand-up comedian, Ida is vibrant, unflinching, and truly fearless.
1: If you listen to my stand-up, then you'll see all the drama that happened in my life. You know, I've talked about getting kidnapped. I've talked about my journey as a model. I've I've written jokes about all of those things because
0: comedy is cathartic for me. And she's getting noticed for it. Last year, Vulture named Ida's HBO documentary, Fighting Words, as one of the year's top 10 comedy specials. But the path to success wasn't always easy. As she was building her career, she was also raising two children as a single mom and, at times, experiencing homelessness. I made a
1: decision that I was gonna survive, that we were gonna survive, and that that was the only option
0: was to get to the other side. She brought that determination to her act, and in 2013, that fearlessness gave Ida the confidence to join the reality TV competition, Last Comic Standing, despite getting advice from fellow comedians not to do it.
1: I was very conflicted about doing that show because reality had such a reputation of being exploitive and messy, but I had to make an executive decision. I was unhoused at that moment. I was working a full-time job and I had two children and I wasn't getting any help. I had just lost my grandmother. And then on October 16th, my uncle was murdered in a hate crime in Miami, Mm -hmm. Florida. He was beat to death for being gay. And so
0: I was struggling in silence like many of us do. must have been extremely challenging to go out there and be funny while you were grieving and dealing with all those other challenges.
1: Probably one of the hardest things I ever did. Um I mean, I I didn't think I was going to make it to the top 10. I was I mean, everybody would have been doing stand up more than me in the competition. When I got called for that, that's when I knew that my life would change. I had to take a risk and and being in grief was the was probably the biggest reason for me not wanting to do the show, but I had to remember what my grandmother and my uncle worked so hard for and what they wanted from me. So I had to suck it up, Mm -hmm. buttercup, (laughs) and go do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, during this time on Last Comic Standing, did that help you to find your voice, or did it change you in any way as far as how you tell your own story or how you try to make people laugh?
1: You know, I have been told so much that I was too aggressive on stage. I was too angry on stage. I was too uh, cutting edge on stage and I needed to tone it down. But when I brought that to Last Comic Standing and the people responded to it the way that they did, it just freed me. So when I left Last Comic Standing, I realized that people were resonating with, this working-class single mom who has some struggles that has something to say about what she was going through in life and really, really being able to be honest and transparent about that without feeling the obligation to elevate herself above all the other people that were going through that. It grounded me in a way that was unexpected, and it made me feel like I have a tribe of people that are out there like me and I'm going to go out and get to meet them. And that's what Last Comic Standing did to me. It made me feel like I wasn't alone. It just it pushed me out the door and said, girl, go be yourself. It's okay.
0: I I think that being yourself thing is just so invigorating to watch. It's not just you doing a bit, telling a joke and then telling a punchline. Here's the setup and here's the laugh. It really feels like you're going places that are vulnerable and sometimes a little sad and sometimes a little scary. And on top of that, I have to bring up your HBO special, Fighting Words, which is so excellent and everybody needs to watch this. But on top of all of that, you also bring in almost a documentary element mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. this film that it's it's woven in there. Uh, we hear your story. We we hear you know moments that feel confessional, but then we also get to meet the characters in your stories. We mm-hmm. we see you meeting your father and mm-hmm. several siblings for really the first time, and I I gotta say, it just shows how much being yourself really delivers that emotional punch. It really does. Yeah, it was scary. (laughs) I imagine it must have been really scary, right?
1: Yeah, it was very scary. Um, It was during the pandemic. So there was the, the, the primal fear of not wanting to get sick and die. And then there was, you know, the creative fear of how, what does this mean? You're going to go out. These audiences are weird right now. People are wearing masks. The country is divided. So much stuff going on. And then I wanted to just be real and this documentary, which for me entails a lot of stuff. I wasn't going to hide my bags. I didn't go get fillers. I, I didn't get Botox because I wanted to just be myself even being told by some people in the industry that that wasn't a good idea because I was going to age myself and it's going to make it harder. And I'm like, it can't get harder than it's been. How much harder can it get? Nobody is going to believe that I'm 22. I am who I am. And I. there's a nation of women out there who are over 35 years old that matter and should have see a, a reflection of themselves in whatever way that is. And I'm not anti-Botox filler. I'm not anti-going to get work. I don't know what I'm going to do next week. I am I have ADD <laughs> and I'm a Virgo. <laughs> I can come back <laughs> fully made up. <laughs> but that's not where I was in that moment. And so it was very scary. And it was it was something that I didn't think that I was going to be able to do. I've never seen a woman who looks like me or sounds like me break the ceiling in comedy. There's nothing for me to look up to you know there there are mm-hmm. very few of us who've actually been able to make a living doing stand-up comedy so i just had to make a decision that i wa- I, I was going to have to create the hero that i wanted to see and i didn't think that i was going to end up you know getting any of the accolades because my comedy comes in a package that's not palatable to the masses so when i was standing on that stage i had also sprained my ankle during rehearsal and mm. so I had a swollen right ankle. There's a hurricane running behind me. I had broken up with my person. My father had stopped speaking to me. And uh, rain was falling and people were worried about how they were going to get home. So that's mm. all of that stuff was going on. Because I don't do what people expect me to do in comedy. I don't talk. You know, I, I confront issues. I'm pretty edgy they don't want to hear that from me, some people. So it was damn hard. And it it doesn't Mm -hmm. get any easier. I just celebrated 15 years of comedy on Monday. And man, it's been so hard. And I love it. So I'm
0: never going to quit. Was there a specific point in your comedy career when you realized, oh, hold on, this isn't me just going to open mics. This is, you know, a real business.
1: So yes, there was a moment in my career where I realized how um, comedy became my business as opposed to something that I was doing. So I started doing stand-up and I never thought it was going to be anything. You know, I started doing stand-up. It was cathartic for me. You know, I was working a full-time job. I had two children. I would go to the comedy clubs because my kids were in a safe place and I would go do stand-up and it was like therapy for me. I went on the road with Russell Peters. He saw me perform at a comedy club. He invited me at that time. He was probably, he wasn't probably, he was the biggest comedian in the world, making uh, more money than anybody could ever imagine in comedy. And um, when he paid me, which he always pays the comedian what he believes they should be getting, not what the clubs pay you. Because, you know, the comedy clubs give you a set rate. And I was expecting this $500 check, and then I got a check much bigger than that. And I realized that he was in a place where comedy had become bigger than just something that he did to get things off of his chest. And I just watched him, and I was like, oh, this... This is not a comedian making money. This is an entity. This is a business. And I can do that too. I can be in a place where this will become my livelihood. And that was when I set the goal that, oh, I'm going to make a living doing this. So I have to go on Last Comic Standing so that more people can know who I am. So I can start headlining because if I budget my money this way, then I will be able to quit my job and then do this, and then I'm going to be there for my kids all day long. And so it was watching Russell Peters um, run as a business and lo- seeing all the moving parts that inspired me in, into believing that I could do it too.
0: Well, to take things outside the comedy world, mm-hmm. I, I'm curious if you have advice for entrepreneurs yes. or anybody else out there you know, building a business. What would your advice be to them based on how you have over the last 15 years built your comedy career? Well,
1: I'll tell you this comedy, entertainment, it is a business. I have a company, it's called Dancing with Raymond. One of the things that I will tell you is that. If you're not a business person in the entertainment business, you will struggle because Mm. you have to be able to compartmentalize. And it's really hard for me because I am an artist. That being said, I, I am a really good businesswoman and I show up. But when I'm in my creative space, I need to surround myself with people who will take the reins when I'm in that creative place. So I do believe in surrounding yourself with people that you trust that can specialize in things that you're not that strong in. I'm always believing in a village. You know, that's ultimately the way I see things. You know, I believe in all perspectives, so I work with people who are younger than I am and people who are older than I am so that I can be dialed into to the different points of view. And I also believe in surrounding myself with people who do what I do, that have their own companies that we can exchange Ideas. We don't always have to be in competition with people that do what we do. There's, if you understand economics, there's room for us all. I think it's important to understand that you can coexist with a competitor, if you want to call it that. But that can just be an ally, ally, someone that does what you do, and you can both thrive, and you're stronger that way. I treat my my company as a separate entity from myself, but I give it the respect of an entity. So my My company has its savings, it has investments, it has its own goals that are separate from Ida's goals as an entertainer. Mm. Um, And I also think it's important for you as a business person to give back and sow seed into those who want to do what you want to do to create legacy. We all want love our wings, but we have to also plan our roots.
0: Absolutely. Everything we've talked about today, there is one change and one challenge after another, (laughs) changing career, changing family structure, Um, change, 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 change. And you've obviously been able to not just survive, but thrive through a lot of changes. For entrepreneurs out there who are dealing with big shifts, people who work in real estate, for Mm -hmm. example, what advice do you have for them as They run their businesses through, you know, all of these uh, big shifts. So first and foremost, take
1: care of yourself. Make sure that mentally, spiritually, and emotionally you are taking care of yourself. We have a very unhealthy perspective about what thriving in this country is, which is beating ourselves up. And, And I went through that, certainly working so hard that I wasn't getting any rest, thinking there was honor in that And what there is honor in is doing good work, providing good services, running a sound company. I think that just like we as individuals can sit down and think about what we want to see for ourselves, we have to also do that for our companies. And we have to separate ourselves from that as individuals and say, how would you like to see this company thrive and what do you want it to say in the world? And I know that's that sounds very airy, but it's the truth. When I sat down and I said, listen, Dancing with Raymond is going to be a company that is a media house is what, what it is. And it's going to provide content that focuses on groups of people throughout the world that have not seen themselves in media. And if the stories are good and the stories are real and they're grounded and connected, all people will watch it. And so... That's a very different mission than either the stand-up comedian and the individual and the person and the mother. Just sit down and think about what vision do I have for my company? When I, What about when I retire? Who's going to run it? Who's going to complete this mission? And how they will be able to connect to the mission of the company if it's
0: not married to me. You mentioned earlier you don't see a lot of people in this industry You know, moving fearlessly in comedy, uh, being the kind of media entrepreneur you are, you don't see a lot of people who look like you. No. How do you move forward fearlessly without those examples?
1: I've had to identify the things in people who are successful that don't look like me. I've had to identify myself in them in ways that are beyond the physical. Which is what we've always had to do as people of color, because representation has always been has not always been on their side. That's what we've had to do, and thankfully for me, now I have a lot of you know people of color who are doing it. This like relief that I had, where I was like, oh, I can just be myself in this business and do what I want to do, and I feel like I have to become something else to do it and tell my story in a way that's dignified and powerful.
0: And now people can see themselves in you. I hope. Well, I got to say, this has been just fabulous. Ida Rodriguez, you are truly an American treasure. You are an inspiration. thank Thank you so much for joining us today on The Relentless. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Coming up, we'll hear about the secret sauce behind what it takes to be the world's number one Century 21 affiliate. Stay with us.
2: Time for a
1: real estate reality check from me, a Century 21-affiliated agent. Closing isn't always champagne and celebrations. Buyers can back out and contracts can fall through at the last moment. That's why you work with us. The Century 21 brand is the most respected in the industry. We've got the tools and the know-how to help you make a sale worth celebrating. At the right time, of course. Century 21. Move fearlessly. Each office is independently owned and operated. Century 21 is the registered trademark owned by Century 21 Real Estate, LLC.
0: Welcome back. Hearing Ida Rodriguez describe the care and joy she's taking in growing her comedy business, it really expanded my idea of what it means to be an entrepreneur. So I was excited to talk with someone in real estate taking a similar approach with his company. Dan Cruz is the president, CEO, and owner of Century 21 Affiliated in Madison, Wisconsin. It's one of the largest Century 21 brokerages in the world, with over 120 offices in six states. Dan Cruz, welcome
2: to The Relentless. Hey, thanks for having me, Kristen. Really happy to be here and excited for this podcast.
0: We would love to start off at the beginning with you, and- I read that while you came from a real estate-focused family, your mom was an agent, your dad was a broker slash owner. You actually, as a kid growing up, did not imagine yourself in this industry at
2: all. I would say not only didn't imagine it, I kind of fought it. You know, we were the you know the kids that were picked up on the playground and, oh, hey, on the way home, we got to stop at a couple of showings. And, oh, by the way, we're going to write an offer. And, uh, all that kind of fun stuff, is, as we know in the industry, is kind of the most important pieces of what we do. Um, but as kids, you kind of look at that and go, wow, I, I, I don't have any interest in, in doing that. But you did finally come around to it. <laughs> yes. My dad is any good salesperson. He owned a small Century 21 shop in my hometown. And he said, you know, hey, why don't you get your real estate license? Come help me, you know, in the summer. So I got my license when I was a sophomore in college. Sure enough, sold a property that particular summer and I don't know, made about twice as much money as I did working in a factory or whatever I was doing, you know, the summer before some odds and ends. And I said, wow, I, you know, I I could figure this real estate thing out. This isn't so bad. But truth be told, I, I fell in love with, the entrepreneurial spirit that is real estate. And it's one of the things I love about real estate still to this day is, you know, no matter if you're an agent, if you're a broker, what have you, whatever you put into this industry is what you get back out of it. And I really fell in love with that concept.
0: And now here you are, president and CEO of Century 21 Affiliated. And we have to point out that you oversee pretty much all the operations for, Uh, this huge uh, endeavor, you you oversee human resources, marketing, IT, training, accounting functions. You do it all. This is not the mom and pop operation. No offense to mom and pop operations. (laughs) Uh, There has been a ton of growth and expansion, and you operate across several states and even time zones for other broker owners just starting out who are thinking about oh, maybe someday I'll expand. What advice would you give them? Because this is a huge leap from where you started.
2: Yeah, no, I I appreciate that, Kirsten. One, I will say in the early days of, of our growth, it was much more difficult for us to grow from, let's say, 10 offices to 15 than it is today for us to grow, let's just say to 75 to 125. Because I think when you're much smaller, those scalable moments... Are, oh man, now I just doubled the size of my employee base. Mm, or yeah. wow, I moved into another geographic territory we've never serviced. How do we get that right? And how do we do that the right way from an efficiency standpoint and, and really make kind of, you know, one plus one equal three? We really do a kind of hub and spoke model, if you will, where the hub is, you know, marketing, website, HR, tech support, all the stuff we feel. Most broker owners either don't love or aren't good at. And we try to centralize those and do that with very specific people that are really good at those particular roles. And as we move into new territories, we can then go in and say to that broker owner listen, we know you are really great at recruitment of talent, retention of your agents, being able to uh, go out there and sell and procure relationships. But you probably don't enjoy wearing all these different hats of accounting and uh, social media and back office and and events. Let us take all that off your plate and let you focus on what you're good at. That concept has has really proven to be very strong for us. And the people we go in and either you know merge with or acquire or partnership with, love the concept because then they get back to why they fell in love with this business. And most people started a real estate company or got involved with it because they love all of those aspects of people and growth and retention and recruiting. Most of them didn't get into it to, oh, I got to worry about payroll this week and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I and, really
0: love accounting. That's why exactly, I did this. <laughs>
2: exactly. So that that model for us, Kristen, has really been what has given us the ability to scale at a quick level and do it in in the right way, it's probably been one of the things that we're we're very proud of, of how we've kind of adapted and evolved the company over the last 15 years.
0: Do you have one specific example, a success story or a challenge related to the hub-and-spoke model?
2: A big piece of the success we found with it is uh, when we go in and there's a trailing broker, a small broker, and one of the networking areas we were in, and we decided to bring them in and they became a partner with ours in a small geographic territory. But they were wearing all these hats. And I remember when we talked to them about our hub and spoke model of us being able to come in and and take things like payroll and HR and, and, you know, web design all off their plates. It was a direct impact to them, not just on how they, led their company and what they were able to focus on. But economically, these were things that as a smaller company, they just couldn't afford to do. So when we came in and we we're able to say, great, we're going to bring in our model. And now you have all of these areas of resource available to you. One, it was this, the savings and uh, excitement on that. And two, it was a relief for the, for that broker manager to go, wow, great. I don't have to worry about this stuff. But ultimately it was this big impact to the agents who, who go, wow, now I have these things at my fingertips that. My broker didn't really have the ability to provide us. And that's when we like the light bulb like kind of clicks for a lot of those success stories and people get excited about it. And now at this point,
0: you're the number one Century 21 affiliate in the world. Is that right? In the entire world.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> we, uh, we've we kind of held that title for the last eight years running, actually. It's been a fun title to, to hold, and we hope to continue to hold it for many years to come. And, you know, a big part of it to us is making sure... We can provide that right platform and tools and systems for our agents because if we're doing the r- our job, we're supporting them, so then they can go out and help their clients and customers make good housing decisions. And if we if we do that properly, uh, we're both servicing ultimately the end buyers and sellers, the consumers in the transaction. Um, but we're doing it through the support network of of supporting our agents and our offices, which which we take a lot of pride in.
0: So it's really about supporting people, supporting your team, supporting your clients and so on. Do you use any, you know, technological innovations to help you get
2: there? Yeah, we're constantly trying to look at tech as a way we can help them through the transactional process to be more efficient and thus giving them more time and energy to focus on their clients and customers, and then ultimately pass similar tech platforms down to the client base so we can help them navigate what I think is a pretty tricky transaction in a more efficient manner and a a better way of doing business. That's where we try to leverage the, the technology pieces in one way. Or how can we leverage technology to create more business? And if we can also figure out how to generate more lead activity that we in turn get in the hands of our agent base. So they can uh, close more deals and have more opportunities in front of them. That's kind of the other big area where we try to leverage, the, the, the tech piece of it.
0: And even with these tech advances,
2: you still manage to keep the human experience front and center. Yeah, um, one of the big areas we focus also a lot of time and energy on is how do we continue to recruit and attract the right talent and the right people, uh, and then base our company around those people to help us continue to grow and, and carry forth what we think is a, is a pretty special thing.
0: Yeah, but throughout all of this, I mean, there are some things that stay the same, but there are changing needs that consumers have. I mean, the pandemic changed what some people's needs are. The state of the economy changes what certain consumers' needs are. How have you and your company evolved to support those changing needs?
2: Yeah, that's a, re- a really good point and question. I mean, I had the very real question of, well, what does this mean for our industry? Will, will people never want to go look at a house again the same way they looked at a house in the past? Is housing going to be as important? Are we all going to not buy anything for the next five years? I mean, we we had so many unknowns that were taking place uh, just you know throughout the world at that point. And all of a sudden one thing in the housing industry that was so interesting that took place is housing became such a focus for people because i think it was a little bit of wow i am spending more and more time in my house and i better love where i live more
0: time than i ever imagined
2: <laughs> exactly and and we were we were teaching kids at home we were taking all of our work time at home we people are working home more now than they were you know 3 years ago this whole dynamic around what home means to all of us changed So that was just like a really great example of how I think we all had to shift. And I think our job in the industry was making sure that our agents understand those changes, get educated on those changes so they can best uh, have those discussions with their clients and customers and prepare them to make good decisions as, as whatever that housing need evolves for them. And whether that is simply understanding the the need of clients and customers moving forward, or if there's a new tool or system or or tech piece we can do to help supplement or connect with them, and how do we get videos to people? How do we get digital signatures so they don't have to meet face-to-face? That entire process has evolved very, very quickly and intensely over the last three years, given the pandemic. And quite frankly, I think also, I mean, selfishly, I think has pushed us to evolve the industry in in ways we probably should have even before the you know pre-pandemic on how to leverage technology to help us in those situations and we're still trying to figure it all out and and make sure we can do it as best as possible but it's been kind of a I think a bit of a fun time in our industry to see the evolution of tech and how it can support our agents and and the clients and customers and I hope we continue to push ourselves as an industry to do that too
0: now all the season, We're exploring different aspects of what it means to move fearlessly. What does the phrase move fearlessly
2: mean to you? You know, when I think about moving fearlessly, to me, it represents a lot of who we are as a company because we continue to look at opportunities and sometimes having to move fearlessly as an organization as we venture into what the next phase of who we are looks like. Uh, We recently just put together a great new partnership and expansion for our group into the state of California. But... Don't get me wrong, that comes with risk, comes with some reward when you kind of make those decisions to expand and take on new geographic territories or to take on new elements of evolution within a company. I think it really encompasses who we are as a a company and what we try to portray to our employees and to our agents about taking risk, smart risk, uh, but also being able to sometimes do things that we think are are a bit fearless and and grasp onto the opportunities because we believe we have to continue to evolve as a company, as the industry changes, as the world changes, how do we continue to evolve in that way uh, to find success?
0: Dan Cruz, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today on The
2: Relentless. I appreciate you having me on. It's been a lot of fun going through some of this and, and it's been great.
0: To close the show today, we have some fun news. The Relentless has surpassed 1 million downloads. No small feat in the universe of podcasts. And all credit to you, dear listeners. Thank you. The Relentless is produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Century 21 Real Estate. You can find out more about the guests you heard in today's show and discover more great material from our Century 21 partners at slate.com slash c21relentless. I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening. All rights reserved. Nothing herein is intended to create an employment relationship. Century 21 Real Estate LLC fully supports the principles of the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Opportunity Act. Each office is independently owned and operated. This material may contain suggestions and best practices that you may use
2: at your discretion.